Welcome to the Ad Watchers, a podcast brought to you by the National Advertising Division of BBB National Programs. We're a team of attorneys with 50 years of experience investigating and resolving disputes over the truthfulness and accuracy of national advertising campaigns. I'm Hal Hodes. And I'm Latoya Sutton. To make sure advertisers can back up what they're telling consumers, we don't just take ads at face value. We put them to the test. Why? Because advertising law is simple. It's the execution that's hard. Thank you for joining us. You know, this is our inaugural episode of the Ad Watchers. And Latoya, before we really dive into the issues we're going to talk about today, I kind of wanted to talk about what our goals are here uh, with this podcast. Latoya, what, what, are, what are your goals here? Uh, so what we really are trying to do for the listeners is to provide a behind the scenes look at the NAD process, give our listeners some insight into kind of how we think. Um, how we view advertisements and different claims, how we think about what they mean to consumers, the different issues that come up in our daily lives as NAD attorneys, um, what kind of evidence we think you know certain claims should be supported by, all of the things that you know go into the thought process that results in our ultimate decisions that we issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we want to be non-specific. We're not here to talk about, uh, you know, specific advertisers or advertisements that much. But we often say that we step into the shoes of the consumer to determine what messages are conveyed by an advertisement or an advertising claim. And I think I would like that at the end of this series that our listeners would have a better understanding of how we do that, how we look at advertising from a consumer standpoint. Exactly. We want to, you know, help the listener um, when they're developing their advertising, you know, know what to do, what to look for, you know, in order to ensure that their advertising is truthful and substantiated. Yeah. And so, you know, as for who our listeners might be, you know, if you've been an NAD or participant, either once or often, um, if you might be an NAD participant in the future, if you work in advertising claims or marketing uh, or, or have read our decisions in the past and were curious about them, or, or maybe you're just someone who's interested in the nitty gritty of truthfulness in advertising, I, I think this podcast is hopefully useful for all of those people. So what we're saying is basically there's a little bit for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess with that, we should just, you know, jump right in and get started. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. So um, today we're going to be talking about, you know, an issue that comes up over and over again. Uh, one of the very basic questions that all NAD attorneys get asked over and over again is, who makes the rules? Is it you? Are you making this up as you go along? Um, you know, who makes the rules that we're looking at when we're deciding cases? And the truth is, there are a lot of people that, you know, play a part in making um, the rules that we look at and a lot of federal agencies that we consider. 
It's basically the federal alphabet soup. There's the FTC, there's the EPA, there's the FDA, sometimes even the CPSC gets in there. So the truth is like there are um, a lot of different places that we look for for um, advertising standards. Yeah, and and the one alphabet soup that doesn't make the rules is NAD, right? We don't just make up these rules. Uh, We look to the law and regulatory guidance that's already out there. And then we seek to, what we always say is we seek to harmonize our decisions and our recommendations with those standards set by, you know, the various uh, agencies that that are relevant to whatever the claim might be. And, you know, that gets complicated because a lot of the products that are the subject of the ad claims review are really heavily regulated. And there's a lot uh, out there about what they can say, what they can't say, what they can do, what they can't do. And, you know, that makes our analysis uh, of advertising claims uh, difficult sometimes. But first and foremost, we want to make sure that consumers are being provided with truthful and accurate information, right? So that's always our primary goal. So how do we do that in this situation? You know, we don't want a situation where we believe that in order for consumers to get truthful and accurate information from an advertiser, that they need to do something different or, or contradictory to a regulation or a law, right? That's not, that's not what we're here to do. Um, exactly. We want to have consistent rules and standards, right? Exactly. Um, that's that's consistency is is our ultimate goal. We don't want to have a situation where it's it's difficult for an advertiser to both follow a federal regulation and what NAD has said in its decision. You know, we don't want there to be conflict. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about how we do that. All right. So. When there's an applicable federal regulation or there's an agency that directly relates to the product or claim before NAD, like an FDA monograph or um, an EPA uh, designation, um, NAD will, as I mentioned before, attempt to harmonize its efforts with those of that appropriate regulatory agency. Right. And harmonizing you know, that doesn't mean that we are in the business of determining if you're complying with federal regulation. You know, sometimes we have parties that come in and say, you know, this claim is a problem because it doesn't meet FDA's, you know, definition of a health claim or it is improperly formatted structure function claim. You know, those are are terms of art and standards that are defined by the FDA. We're not here to say, you know, yes or no, we are enforcing FDA's regulations. You know, that's that's not what we do. Right. There's a, a case that I often go back to about one of my favorite all-time products, uh, mozzarella cheese. I, I know Latoya is also... Uh, a mozzarella fan, and um, I'm not going to endorse my favorite mozzarella cheeses uh, on <laughs> this podcast. But uh, Latoya, you could feel free to reach out later, or any of the listeners can as well, because they all, a lot of them, know know us already. But in this case, there was an advertiser who was calling their cheese part skim mozzarella cheese, and a 
competing cheesemaker said, no, you know, we've analyzed it. This is this doesn't meet FDA regulations for part skim mozzarella. You know, and and we took the case on, we had jurisdiction, but we made clear that we weren't determining whether or not the uh, the advertiser was complying with FDA's regulation about what is mozzarella cheese as opposed to some sort of processed cheese, right? We, we use that sort of regulation as guidance for what consumers understand mozzarella cheese to be and whether or not the advertiser was um, being truthful to consumers and, and meeting their understanding of what the product identification was. Right. Um, because, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we considered our jurisdiction in that case, you know, our, our procedures do sort of preclude jurisdiction over language that is mandated or expressly approved by federal law or regulation. Um, and so that is a, another reason why we, you know, have an interest in harmonizing. We aren't there to, you know, set a standard or, um, you know, decide what should or should not be in an advertisement in, in a way that conflicts with federally mandated language. Again, we don't set the standard, we're just applying it. Um, another place that this comes up often is when we are looking at a product that is subject to an FDA monograph. In that case, you know, we really consider the monograph to be the standard that we are applying, that um, if the FDA has determined that a product that is formulated by this monograph can make certain types of claims, then we are going to go with the presumption that the FDA has determined that, you know, whatever's in this monograph, that's a reasonable basis for making that claim. You know, there's, there's, we believe that the FDA, they've done the research, they've determined that the approved claim is truthful. And, and so we don't need to really revisit that issue. Yeah. And, you know, that gets tricky because, you know, some of the monographs are older and maybe the science has changed a bit, or maybe the challenger in a particular case disagrees with the underlying evidence that led to that monograph, right? And so we get plenty of, of challengers saying, no, 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 the, the product doesn't do what it says it's going to do. And, and they try and show that to us, but it's not our job to sit there and say that the regulation is wrong. I mean, we, we have to put some trust that the, the the laws and regulations in place are based on good evidence. And, and also, you know, to the point of harmonizing, given that choice of, of going up against a determination that in a monograph that, that a product can say that it does X, Y, or Z, um, we're going to try and harmonize our decisions with that as opposed to revisiting the whole background of evidence, much of which we don't have access to, to determine if the monograph is correct or not. Exactly. You know, there are a lot of scientists that, you know, work at the FDA, that work at 
all these other different federal agencies who spend their entire career looking at a specific issue or specific type of product or a specific type of ingredient. And, you know, they, they've done their homework. Um, and so, again, if, if they've approved a claim, we're not going to be, you know, the ones to question it. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, to the point of applying standards, not setting it, you know, the FDA has applied a standard, right? And we are not going to set one in its place, uh, given an existing well-established standard like that, especially if it's coming from a, a federal agency. So, you know, this maybe goes a little deeper into harmonizing where, where maybe it's not so clear, right? Like a monograph. And we kind of alluded to this in talking about monographs, but what I think harmonizing often means is looking to the regulations for guidance about what an advertisement means to consumers and what kind of evidence is expected when a certain claim is made. You know, we know that regulations are in place and that consumers see advertising that is regulated, right, um, or that is based on regulated products. And so, you know, they're kind of used to seeing advertising based on these rules and regulations in this law. So it kind of guides consumer understanding. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, regulations shape how consumers understand terms and ads and, and labeling. And um, it also, you know, to a certain extent is is reactive um, to you know the real world understanding uh, of terms and claims it's it's a bit of a you know a chicken and the egg situation sometimes you know which comes first you know do regulations shape how consumers understand things or does consumer understanding you know kind of shape regulations i think you know in a perfect world it, it kind of goes both ways you know there yeah, there, yeah. there are times where you know you 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 have a regulation that's based on you know consumer understanding from from the 70s um, and then you know it'll get updated once you know there's more evidence of how consumers are understanding you know that claim in in 2021 perhaps so i, I think it goes back and forth right how yeah, I mean, you know, whether it's a chicken or an egg, it's all the same species, right? And so what it doesn't really as what we care about, I think, in, in looking to harmonize our guidance with that of federal regulation is that it kind of doesn't matter which one comes first. If the guidance from federal regulatory agencies lines up with consumer understanding you know, whichever one came first, we want to take that to heart and use that in making our own determinations and stepping into the shoes of consumers because consumers, you know, views often line up with those laid out in, in regulatory guidance. But, I, you know, sometimes I think, uh, <laughs> you know, if you, some of the listeners here who, you know, look at, look at our decisions regularly and have read a lot of them might say, you know, you don't always do that, right? Um, sometimes you don't follow uh, regulation or regulatory guidance. And, you know, what are you guys doing here? Help us here. Because how do we know when uh, you are or not going to follow 
the letter of the law in regulation. You know, like I said, we don't enforce, you said actually, we don't enforce the regulations, right? We, we apply, we, you know, we apply them and we use them as guidance as to what consumer understanding of a claim is and whether or not it's substantiated. So, so how do we, how do we bridge that gap and how do we, you know, how, how do we sometimes not use that regulation to bridge that gap? Yeah, absolutely. I I know there were there are probably some listeners about to pick up the phone and and call NAD offices and say, wait, 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 you didn't do that in my case. Um, so let us explain. Yes, it does seem contradictory. We'll get to why it's not, but we fully admit sometimes we don't follow the regulatory guidance, and and it comes up in a, a few different ways in, in our cases. One of them is uh, 510K um, products and, and medical devices that have um, an associated 510K. We sometimes get the argument that, you know, our 510K allows us to say this, um, and we might decide, you know, this is still a misleading claim. Another uh, so another place it often comes up in is um, FSIS administrative reviews for for meat and poultry um, items, where again um, an advertiser might say, "Well, you know, our, our label has been reviewed by this federal agency, um, and, and they've made a determination." about what we can and cannot say and NAD shouldn't, you know, go um, against that. And I, I think what's important to distinguish with these cases and these issues as opposed to federal regulations is that these are these are administrative reviews. These are not necessarily um, representative of the entire agency's thinking, you know, um, they're kind of, you know, very specific to one advertiser and, and in many uh, instances, you know, one sort of narrow review of, of the claims or issues that are presented. I think that our decision in um, Century FiproGuard is a really good illustration here um, because that case involved some approved language that was on the package for a, a pet pesticide product. Um, but you know, when we looked at the case and, and whether or not we had jurisdiction over um, you know, the claim that was at issue, one of the really key issues was kind of, you know, defining what it means to have language that that is approved or mandated. And, and that's different from, you know, an uh, agency determination that applies to, you know, a specific advertiser. What we're talking about is um, regulations or language or things that apply to the industry as a whole, you know, that that all advertisers that are making these time types of claims uh, need to adhere to. On the, you know, flip side, where you have this administrative review that is really kind of unique to a particular claim, um, it doesn't really disturb the regulatory scheme if um, self-regulation makes a decision that that's contrary um, to that determination. So really, you know, the, the ultimate takeaway, and this is something that has been reflected in a number of NARB decisions, is that an 
administrative review that didn't necessarily consider all of the messages possibly conveyed to consumers doesn't need to be followed by NAD. Yeah, I mean, you know, we often look deeply at implied messages. And that's something that we think is important because advertising doesn't, you know, it doesn't always, you know, when it's making an unsupported claim, sometimes that is not so clear, but consumers are still taking away an unsupported message, right? And so um, speaking of FSIS reviews, I know there was a case recently with a, a chicken product label where there, the imagery showed chickens sort of fancifully, you know, wandering in, in an open field uh, associated with also a cage-free claim, right? Now, cage-free doesn't mean wandering in an open field, um, but, uh, you know, we did look at that label and that imagery to determine if it conveyed you know, not necessarily the cage-free language, right? Like that's pretty, that's follow, That's harmonizing with the regulation, right? What does cage-free mean? There's there's kind of overriding rules on, on that. But when it comes to an implied message from the imagery on the label, even if that label was approved by, in, in an administrative review, we're going to look at whether or not it implies that cage-free means something greater than, than the actual re- regulatory guidance. Exactly, because we we know that, you know, the agency likely looked at the words on the package and, you know, um, considered whether they were appropriate. But, you know, there's nothing indicating that that they looked at the implied claims, looked at the consumer takeaway from this fanciful chicken imagery um, on the package or, or, you know, other places that it was used in the advertising um, because it also appeared on the website. You know, we took into consideration, I think, sort of the bigger picture and the bigger consumer takeaway that just, again, wasn't unlikely to have been considered by the agency review. Yeah, I mean, you know, and putting consumers first, um, we're going to do that and make sure it doesn't contradict, you know, clearly uh, the the guidance in place. You know, there's, there's another way in which sometimes I think people that come to NAD uh, advocates and, and businesses, you know, view our decisions as contrary on occasion to regulatory guidance when it's really just narrowly reading the, the guidance. So another sort of pet flea and tick case that I was looking at recently involved the word pesticide, right? Could you say not a pesticide for a product? EPA says that a pesticide, you know, defines a pesticide and has sort of rules over what's a pesticide. And a lot of these flea and tick products that are applied to your your pet uh, on the outside qualify as pesticides. There was a product called Revolution that we had a case on a long time ago. It was orally intake. It was like a tablet or a pill that the dog took. And then it extruded the pesticide through its skin and its pores onto the surface of its skin to fight off fleas and ticks. They were saying not a pesticide. For consumers, uh, and and by the way, that is not an EPA-regulated product, right? Because you take it orally. It's an FDA issue. So for a consumer's standpoint, pesticide means that there's toxic or poisonous things on the surface of your pet, right? That whether it comes from the outside and meets uh, EPA's regulation for a pesticide um, or 
it's not an EPA regulated product, but it functionally is the same thing. We said you could not that that advertiser could not say not a pesticide. And that's something that NARB uh, agreed with. And you know, we view the EPA regulation narrowly applying to products that it you know regulates and we did not allow the advertiser to use that regulation to make a claim that we felt was misleading to consumers. Exactly. And I I think that also kind of circles back to our discussion earlier about, you know, um, the influence that, that, uh, regulations and and the standards set in regulations can have on consumer understanding, you know, like regardless of whether that product met EPA's narrow definition and, you know, kind of was technically correct, really what it came down to is, you know, knowing what consumers know about pesticides, is this going to be misleading? Is this going to be, you know, confusing? And I think that's really what guided our decision. Yeah, I mean, the impetus of the EP regulation applied to this product, right? Like, it's not like in determining that a pesticide is sort of something that's applied on the outside of the dog and that has these characteristics, that aligns with consumer understanding for what is a pesticide, even if it's a product that's not regulated by the EPA and wouldn't technically be a pesticide under that, that regulation, right? Functionally, based on consumer understanding, which lines up with the EP regulation, this product was a pesticide, or at least was not not a pesticide. And so we recommended that the advertiser discontinue that claim. So LaToya, is there a method to the madness here? Are we just constantly contradicting ourselves when it comes to harmonizing with the appropriate regulatory guidance? Or, or is there sort of a unified theory of harmonization here that we could help our, our listeners and our and our, our users sort of understand uh, through this discussion? I mean, I, I, I think it's completely clear, but, you know, let, let's break it down for the listeners. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, you know, consumer understanding comes first. That's always, you know, been a guiding principle for all NAD decisions. And I think that's always where we're going to start, you know, consumer understanding of the claim of the advertising is, is you know, ground zero. Um, from there, NAD is going to look at whether or not the cited guidance is a rule or regulation that is standard setting. You know, is it something that is mandated that is, you know, telling us this is the way things need to be? Or is it the result of an administrative review, which, again, may not have taken into consideration all of the potential implied messages um, subtly conveyed, such as you know um, a 510k um, application or an FSIS review. If it is a regulation, if it is a standard that has been set, you know, then we're going to look at does it help us understand what messages consumers would reasonably take away? You know, is is there a general consumer understanding of a claim or a term that we can glean from this regulation? And then, you know, finally, we're going to look at our understanding of the consumer takeaway and whether or not it 
contradicts the regulation. You know, we've looked at the evidence, we've looked at what consumers understand, you know, is our ultimate decision going to contradict the regulation or is there something that we need to do to make sure, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, it is not difficult to comply with the federal regulation and comply with NAD's ultimate decision and uh, recommendations. Couldn't have been clearer myself, Latoya. In fact, I almost certainly would not have been clearer myself. So, so thank you. But you know, I think this lines up perfectly with sort of what we were saying at the top, which is consumers and consumer understanding. Stepping to the shoes of consumers is always going to be our goal, and making sure that they're getting truthful and accurate information. And our second goal is having clear, useful guidance for advertisers that they don't have to be in a situation where they don't know what rules to follow in substantiating their claims, in developing their claims, and that it's as clear as possible while also being as truthful as possible. So what are some final tips and takeaways from you, LaToya, to kind of sum up what advertisers uh, might want to take away from, from all of this? Well... Don't lie and don't break the law. Um, you know, boom, done. You've <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all good. Um, no, 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 no. Um, a little bit more seriously. Um, I think a key takeaway that I hope our listeners have have gotten out of our time together today is that following regulations by itself you know, may not insulate you from scrutiny um, about whether your claims are truthful and substantiated. Um, It helps, definitely. But, you know, we at NAD believe that truthfulness and accuracy deserve their own review. So we're going to really still scrutinize claims, um, even those that, you know, the advertiser defends as, as compliant with a federal regulation. I think that's great, simple advice, which is, you know, maybe uh, hard in the execution. And and that's why we still have lots of cases coming in the door. Um, But uh, I think that's uh, very useful advice. So uh, thank you, LaToya. Um, Thank you to all of our listeners for, for joining us on this first episode of the ad watchers we hope you continue following us and, and and listening to our next episodes we'll be back next month with another episode talking about the reasonable basis standard which is pretty ubiquitous when it comes to nad's review of advertising uh, in the meantime you can go over to our website bbbprograms.org to learn more about our organization what we do. And thank you again. See you next time.